All right, so I know you are uh, in, have been walking through Isaiah, for those of you who are part of Soma Blue Mountains. Um, and, and like Hope said, we're taking a break from Isaiah. We'll be in Colossians 4. And I'd love, if you have a Bible or an app, I'd love for you to be in Colossians 4 with me because I want to ask a couple of questions. Um, <clears throat> but here's the reality, um, is that part of Isaiah's call was to bring a very unpopular message to the people around him. Is that fair? Like as a prophet of God, even if, even if they were God's people, even if they were had some semblance of religion, a lot of the people who heard Isaiah's message did not hear it with excitement. Um, and, and Isaiah was sent with an unpopular message. And here's the reality. You and I are also sent into a population around us with this very countercultural, very unpopular message, right? And the idea of sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel, speaking the words, the good news of Jesus, if you're like me, and if you're like many in, in our church, that even when you hear that word, go share the gospel, it kind of makes our, our, our guts clench up a little bit. Like it makes us a little bit nervous. Is that true for anyone? Because sharing the gospel is hard. We can, we can admit that sharing the gospel is hard. It's, it's easier sometimes to display the gospel. Not always easy, but easier for some of us to display the gospel. We'll just live with integrity and, and throw block parties, which is, which is great. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> and, and serve people and, and just hope that they kind of catch on. But the gospel is a word, and words must be what? Must be proclaimed somehow, spoken, written, this kind of thing. And, and so I, I don't know if all this is, is 100% true here. A lot of the ways that, that in my culture, in U.S. culture, uh, sharing the gospel looks... When people have a stereotype of it, it's a you know, cold call knock on the door by a visiting missionary that says, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go kind of thing? Or, or sometimes it's a, someone standing on a, on a little platform yelling usually very angry things at the rest of the world about the end coming or this kind of stuff. Or it's a, it's a forced conversation. Oh, you broke your arm. You know, it also has broken your heart. You need Jesus kind of thing. It's like, oh, that feels, that, that came out of, out of the blue. Or maybe, and I know there's organizations in your country and mine that have, that have taught folks that there's four specific verses to go to to share the gospel or, or specific truths you have to say, and, and it can cause so much pressure sometimes. What if I get the verses out of order and leave it with all of sin and fallen short? Oh, no, I can't leave it there. We've got to get to Jesus. And so, does anybody feel this? Like feel a ton of pressure to get it right when we share the gospel? I think there's a lot that's gone into sharing the gospel that's made most of us go, it's just easier not to. It's just easier to bring them to the gathering of Blue Mountains on a Sunday or to Kings or to Gathered and let Dave share the gospel with them or whoever is preaching. And I'll, just, I'll get them there, give them some delicious tea, see some cockatoos out there, but, but, but it's Dave's job to share the gospel, not mine. Here's the reality is that God has gifted some as evangelists, and we know these people. They're the folks who walk into a room and the whole room just declares their needs for Jesus before they even open their mouths, right? And if that's you, man, help the rest of us. I'm not an evangelist. Most of us are not gifted in that way. But God's called all of us to make disciples. And, and, and so, so what I want to suggest is that, that far more people will come to know Jesus through conversations that we have on our couches or on our patios or verandas than if you're standing on a soapbox yelling angry things. And, and, and far more people will come to Jesus in a one-on-one -on -one situation even than sometimes if, if they're brought into something like this because we all have a role to play. And so what I hope to do this morning is just to free us a little bit and go, there's not one right way to share the gospel. And yet, 
And yet, Paul gives us in Colossians 3 a couple of things to pay attention to, a couple of invitations, if you want to think about it like that, that I hope frees us to share the gospel in some everyday ways. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about. The first, the first is to watch and pray. Watch and pray for open doors. And then the second is to speak the good news into people's stories. Watch and pray for open doors. Speak the good news into people's stories. <clears throat> and so starting with watching and praying, to, to be clear, is, is the salvation of people reliant on you? Is it reliant on people? N- no, it, it's not. In, in Jonah chapter 2, uh, there's a theme that goes throughout the Bible that says salvation is of the Lord. God is the only one who has the power to say. Even that, I hope, is a moment of freedom for us. There is no pressure because you can't say the right words and you can't convince people the right way and you can't be the, the suavest apologist by your power and see anything happen. Salvation is only always of the Lord. And in Colossians 4, Paul wraps up his letter to his friends at Colossae with, with this exhortation for us as it relates to mission. In, in Colossians 4 verse 3, Paul asks his friends, he says, will you pray for us that God might open to us a door for the word, for the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And, and would you pray that God would make it clear which is how I ought to speak? Here's what I need us to understand this morning. Uh, you may have heard this. It's, it's common in Christian circles to say Paul, outside of Jesus, Paul was the greatest missionary who ever lived. You ever heard that? Paul's the greatest missionary in history. And he went and planted all these churches, saw tons of people come to know Jesus. And so Paul's called the greatest missionary in history at times. What does Paul ask his friends for? Even as the greatest missionary in history, what did he ask his friends for? For, for, for prayer. Will you pray that God would open a door? Will you pray that God would give us the words to declare Christ clearly? And friends, I'm, I'm somewhat convinced that one of the reasons that, that we, and I say we intentionally, including myself in this right with you, <clears throat> one of the reasons that we, we don't declare God, don't declare the good news, is because we're not watching and praying for opportunities. Because there's opportunities around us every day. But sometimes we just aren't seeing our lives and relationships through that lens. And so there's a lot of common open doors, everyday conversations. What do you talk about with your friends and family? What are you, what are you doing for this holiday weekend? What's your favorite restaurant? Uh, Toby mentioned yesterday, there's, there's, just in Springwood alone, there's 14 places to get coffee. Everybody, I've learned, has their favorite. And sometimes you'll debate why that is your favorite with the ones who go to the lesser cafes. We talk about things that are important to us, sports, Politics. Ugh. Why do we talk about those things? It's because we care about them. What's the most important thing to you? Of course, in a church setting, there's one right answer to that. And most of us would say that even outside of a church. We would just say that Jesus is the most important thing to us. We, we talk about what's important to us. Not necessarily force it, but here's the deal. Your friends and your neighbors, they're they're pretty bright, and so when they see you get up on Sunday morning with this leather, leather-bound book and get in your car, usually 10 minutes later than you wanted to, but, but when, when they see you, they, they know where you're going. And when other friends show up at your house 
on a Wednesday night, say, with that same leather-bound book, they kind of know what's going on. And yet there's this pressure in some of us to hide away. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, Saturday I'm going to go up the mountain. Sunday morning, and then Sunday afternoon I'm going (laughs) to... And so, again, I'm not suggesting we force conversations about Jesus, but I am suggesting maybe we don't hide conversations about Jesus. And, And it doesn't mean that if you open the door to have a conversation about Jesus, that it only counts if they end on their knees declaring their need for Jesus and repentance. That's... What if we just talk about Jesus as if he's a, a, an important part of our everyday lives? Um, another everyday door that God sometimes opens is, is, is giving the answer to questions that people are asking. Um, there's been this window for the last few years. Again, a lot's been really hard about the last few years in your country and mine. Um, but one of the things that came out of it is that people were asking each other questions. There, there was almost this, this ability to be not perfect because when, when, when I look out and I see that everyone is imperfect, everyone is struggling with something, every, no, nobody knows exactly what's going on, then it's given me the ability to say, hey, I've got this need. I have a question. I don't know something. Have you experienced that? And sometimes even if people ask you questions only so they can not really listen to your answer but tell you why you're wrong, right? People have at least asked questions. And so there's an opportunity when people ask questions to give a safe answer or there's an opportunity to give a deeper answer. I have, I have friends who, who do foster care. They do adoption. And one of the, one of the, the, the cases that they were working, um, they had the opportunity to, to receive this baby who had been, the, the mother had been so badly beaten during pregnancy, that that's what made the baby come out at like 27 weeks or something like that. Um, and the caseworker said to my friends, why, why, why would you be okay with this baby? There's going to be so much, there's so much drugs, so many drugs in the system. It's going to be like weeks, months in the, in the ICU, the infant ICU. And the caseworker said to my friend, why, why say yes to this baby? It's a, it's a question. It's a good caseworker question, for the record. And my friend said he had, he had this moment where he's like, I can give a safe answer. Oh, we've been on the waiting list for many years. It's a safe answer. It's partially true. Um, you know, we don't know when another opportunity is going to come along. Um, he's like, but I felt in the moment like God was inviting me to, to speak truth. My friend had been saved when he was 18 years old in prison. And so he told the caseworker, he said, when I see this baby, I see a physical representation of who I was. I was broken, nobody wanted me, I had been beaten, I was in the worst state of my life, and God met me in that moment and drew me to himself despite all of my mess. And so I get choked up when I remember this. Every time I, when I see this baby, I want to display that same kind of love, that no matter what happens, she knows she's loved, she knows she's brought home to a good father. And the caseworker said, I've never heard someone talk like that before. And, and again, it just led to a relationship, led to a conversation. It was an honest answer to a question that was asked. Um, a, th- a third common way that God opens doors is, is to offer to pray for people. 
And, and, and again, that can sound strange, but, but in most pockets of the entire world, even, even if you're talking to someone who, who has the least engagement with any kind of deity or the thought of a deity at all, if, if you offer to pray for someone, like 95% of the time they'll say yes. Do you know why? It just seems like a kind gesture to them. It's, it's almost like, like a, oh, it's a, it's a kind offering. It's a, sure, you can say empty words to someone you believe lives in the sky. That, you know, why not is kind of the thought. Um, and then you get to pray because you believe, even if they don't, that if you're celebrating something, that, that God was the one who gave them that good gift. Or if there's a need, you, you believe that God is the one who can heal, even if they don't. And so if nothing else, prayer is a reminder for you of what you believe to be true. And then if we get to follow up the week later, how's your mom that we prayed for? Oh, you remember? Maybe even that, because let's be honest, humans are not great at listening to each other one way or the other. Does this make sense? These are just a few everyday ways. We pray with our kids every night. There's a lot of open doors. I used to teach university classes, and I would mention, yes, I'm a professor, but I'm a pastor. But more than that, I'm someone who was utterly dissatisfied and and, and God met me when I was 20 years old, and I believe that he offers satisfaction. And you may or may not believe that, but that's the core of who I am. Just a, a little, little glimpses. There's opportunities. Are we watching? Are we praying? Are we asking the Spirit to help us see opportunities? And are we asking the Spirit to give us boldness and clarity? Are we begging, church? Are we begging God to do what only God can do? And, and so maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's what you need this morning is just just an exhortation to join God, join Paul in watching and praying for God to open doors. God, would you open doors for me to declare the mystery of faith? God, would you give me words? Maybe, if I can take a step back, maybe it's God, would you give me a desire to pray for people? Would you give me a desire to pray for open doors? That's one of the things Paul mentions in this passage. But, but that's just half of what Paul mentions in this passage. If a door opens, what do we get to do then? We get to walk through it. Or close it back shut because, oh, I didn't really want that to happen. Because <laughs> it's scary to share the gospel. Uh, so, uh, again, picking up in verse 4. I've already read this, but I'll read it again. Um, Pray that God may uh, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Help me make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So, again, it is good to display the gospel. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech, he says, because the gospel is a word and it needs to be declared, proclaimed, let your speech always be what? Gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. When your non-believing friends and neighbors have heard about Jesus throughout their lives, have they heard about him from a gracious posture? I don't know what salty language means in Australia. In America, it doesn't mean like it means here. Like it's, you know, you don't want salty language today. But seasoned with salt is the way we talk about Jesus tasteful to people. Is it palatable? Not to us, but, but to them. Most folks who don't follow Jesus have not heard about Jesus from Christians with a lot of grace. Again, most is very angry. Most is very accusatory. Do our friends and neighbors, whether 
whatever their past is, when they engage you, non-believing friends, neighbors, family members, do they receive the same grace that Jesus toward, gave toward you? Do, do, they, do they receive the words and the invitation of Jesus as something that is tasteful and palatable? But then those last, last couple words, and I asked Toby to, to read out of the ESV because the, the last couple words, I think, make all the difference to the rest. Paul says, do you know how to answer each person? Some translations say answer everyone. The, the more literal says each person, though, because to answer everyone kind of says, hey, there's one way that you can share the gospel and it'll work for everyone. But, but the literal translation, I think, means more than we give it because it says, do we know how to answer each person? Do you feel the difference there? Every one of us in this room and every one of your non-believing neighbors, friends, family members, classmates, workmates, everyone has a different history, different past, different struggles, different areas of brokenness, different sin patterns. And, and if we only know how to speak the gospel in one way, we might miss an open door. So I want to ask you a hard question. When God redeemed you, what aspect of the gospel sounded like truly good news? What was it about the gospel that sounded like the best news that made you say, yeah, I, I want that? Here, here's my version of that. I was raised in a, a religious non-Christian home. Uh, it's very Texas. We all think we're Christians. Um, but, but very religious, went to church, heard the gospel, heard the life, death, resurrection story every Easter. Um, Heard that, that Jesus died for my sins so I could go to heaven. I didn't have to burn in hell forever. That should have sounded like good news, but I really didn't care about hell when I was a, a child. Uh, many folks, I think under the age of 50 or so, never ponder death, hardly ever. And so the, the eternity, the afterlife is a lost message unless something traumatic happens. So I heard, I heard the gospel. But when I was 20 years old, what made Jesus sound like really good news to me is the realization that through Jesus, God offers satisfaction. Because I was a very dissatisfied young man. And I would try to find satisfaction primarily in uh, leadership roles, which is a nice way of saying controlling other people. Not great, but it's true. Uh, and then in romantic relationships, which is also a nicer way of saying what I was actually doing. Um, and, and so I would just find these relationships and then get bored and move on. And I would get this leadership position. It was never enough. Always, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I'd heard the life, death, resurrection story and the you don't have to go to hell when you die story my whole life. But, but, but for an utterly dissatisfied 20-year-old, the fact that in the gospel there is unending satisfaction sounded like really good news. And let me pause. Is that the entirety of the gospel? No, it's not. But is it one of the angle of what God does? One angle of what God does in the gospel is offer us satisfaction that won't end? Yeah. And so I'm curious, and I don't know if some of Blue Mountains does this, but, but would anybody be willing to share, maybe just one or two, what, what was it for you that made the gospel sound like really good news? Would you be willing to? Yeah, valuable just as I was. That's really good news. Is that the whole gospel? No, but for you, whenever that became good news to you, it sounded like 
Jesus was the Messiah. It sounded like he brought you into something. God values you just for who you are. That's good news. One more? Yeah, that it was true. Yeah, there's a lot of false stories and fables out there. And for God to convince you, this is, this is the truest story. Now, is that the entirety of the gospel? No, but is it one very true piece? Yeah, and it was good news to you. And if, if we had more time and, and, and we were sitting in a round circle, I would have everyone go around. Because I think what we'd hear is that there's all these different angles that made the gospel sound like really good news. The, the way we talk about this in our church back at home um, is, is to picture the, the, the image of a diamond. Um, and whenever you, you used to watch TV commercials before streaming services ruined commercials for us, but whenever you used to watch TV commercials, if you ever saw a commercial for a diamond, it was always against a black background and it was always spinning. Why? It's because every angle that you saw showed it with a little bit of a different beauty and a little bit of a different glimmer and it sparkled a little bit more and it made it look better and better. And, and the marketers thought, well, if we can make it look that beautiful, it'll make people want to go buy it, right? In the same way, there's one gospel. There's one life and death and resurrection and reign of Jesus. But friends, there are innumerable angles to the gospel. And if we're learning how to answer each person, then it might be that if I only know how to share the gospel through the lens of satisfaction, that's great if you're also dissatisfied. But if you're generally satisfied but but doubting whether it's true, then it won't sound like good news to you. Or if you've had to work your entire life to try to earn someone's love, then the gospel being God's ultimate grace that says you don't have to earn anything and you can't earn anything and I've earned everything for you, that's, that's a different angle that sounds like good news to you. Is this making sense? Because the truth, friends, is that, that in Jesus, God becomes joy to the joyless and hope to the hopeless and freedom to folks who are trapped in debt and slavery, and, and justice for those who are oppressed, and salvation for those under judgment, and companionship to those who are lonely, and on and on and on. We go on and on and on, the diamond turns, and it becomes more and more beautiful. There are hundreds of ways to speak God's one objective gospel into people's subjective situations. There are hundreds of angles of the gospel that make it sound like good news to people's specific stories. And so I want you to pause for just a moment. Think about your unbelieving neighbor, family member, friend. What are his struggles? What are, what are her areas of brokenness that they share with you as you hear their stories? What's the question that they're asking that Jesus is the greatest answer to? What need do they have that Jesus alone meets? What, other than Jesus, what are the things that they're seeking to be their salvation? The thing that's going to satisfy them most or the thing that's going to fix all their problems? What is their hope in? Or again, maybe. Maybe you're like, I don't, I don't know. And so I'd ask you, what is, the, what is the truth of the gospel that would invite you to pursue them in the same way that Jesus pursued us? And even if, I loved your story of people living on the same street. We had a, we had a family in our, in our church who, they were so ashamed of going to get to know their neighbor. They're like, I know the Bible tells me to love my neighbors. I feel called to love my literal neighbors, but I've lived next to them for five years. 
and the extent of our relationship is kind of the what's up nod as we get in our cars in the mornings and his name is either Jim or John and he's told me like five times I'm gonna feel really ashamed if I go to him and I'm like, hey, G uh, And then as we talked about this kind of a conversation over a couple of months, he goes, he called me up, he's like, I, I did it. I was like, what? He's like, I learned my neighbor's name. <laughs> And, and I was like, oh, great, how did, how did that happen? I just assumed, like, he got a piece of mail that was misaddressed, and, you know, like, he's like, no, I realized Jesus humbled himself to the point of dying for me, so I could humble myself to the point of going next door and saying, I'm really sorry, I should know your name, but I don't. Can we start over? Like, that's beautiful. Is that the entirety of the gospel? No, but it was something in him that clicked of what Jesus had done for him that drove him to take, I think he took some, some wine and, and cookies, biscuits, which never hurts. Um, but he said, I'm sorry. I, I should know your name. I've been a bad neighbor. I would like to get to know you. Again, is that the entirety? No. Is it a piece of what Jesus has done for us that matters to our lives? Yes. It, here's the point. As we get to know every person, each person, as Paul says, with whom God opens the door, we get to, God invites us to pray that God alone will save. But since God often saves through his people, through his church, through, his, through the body of Christ, the Soma, let's also speak the gospel with wisdom and grace and saltiness and answer specific questions that people are asking and get to know specific stories of people's lives. Jesus did this. Paul did this. If you look through the scriptures, Paul spoke the good news of the gospel differently to, 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 to Gentiles, to pagans, it was the, the Roman religion at the time, than he did to Jews. With Jews, you would start with, with, with law and, and Messiah, but, but the, the Gentiles didn't know law and Messiah, so he would start with natural creation and, and general deity. Jesus, with, with the Pharisees, he would call them a brood of vipers, probably not the great starting point for most of our friends and neighbors, but, but they, they were the folks who were supposed to know better. And then the woman at the well, for another example, he did not call her a brood of viper. He entered into her need. And they had this conversation, I, I want to worship where the Jews worship. I've been let down by multiple husbands. I want living water. And when we read it through that lens, then at the very end, she says, I know there's a Messiah coming. And Jesus' words mean all the more when he says, I, I am he. I'm the Messiah you're longing for. All these other things that you want, I can, maybe I, this is why I resonate with the woman at the well, I can deeply satisfy your need. Sharing the gospel in everyday ways starts with watching and praying for open doors, and then it means we care for people and get to know them and speak the good news in a way that answers each person. Is that hard? Yeah, it can be. Does it take time and effort and relationship and sacrifice? Yeah. Is it efficient? It is not efficient. No. Might you fail and misrepresent God and speak foolishly? Yeah, you might, but you know what? We misrepresent God in some way every day because we're humans and we're broken, and the good news is that Jesus died for that as well. Does it, does it mean we have to guard against seeing our non-believing co-worker, neighbor, friend, classmate as a project? Yeah, we have to guard our hearts about that for sure. But on one hand, if salvation is of the Lord then you guys, it's freedom because it's God alone who opens the doors when we watch and pray. And it's the Spirit who empowers us with the exact words to walk through those open doors. And it's Christ in us who gives us the freedom 
to speak his truth. And on the other hand, if we're, if we're sent and called to love our neighbors, you know where that love comes from? We can't conjure that up on our own. But it's reflecting on another angle of the gospel, which is to say that God first loved us, even when we were broken and even when we had nothing to offer and even when we were undeserving. And there's at least something in there that goes, yeah, God, I, I get to display a little bit of how much you love me to, to someone else. They're not a project to me. They're a, they're a human made in your image who doesn't know that they're your son, your daughter. And friends, it's worth those risks. Because God alone is joy to the joyless and hope to the hopeless and freedom to those trapped in debt and slavery and and justice for the oppressed and all the things we said. He's so much more than that. And so I want to say this, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're seeking those things, because followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus feel hopeless at times, and followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus feel shame at times. So so whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if, if you're seeking joy, hope, freedom, justice, whatever it may be, restoration. And if you're looking to anything but Jesus for those things, that thing will let you down. All the other things will make us servants to a bad God. But the longing is real. It's the same longing as the the woman at the well. I know there's something that can make this better. And so I think Jesus would look to you and say the same thing to you that he said to the woman at the well. I'm, I'm the one. I'm he. I can fix it. I can make it right. Only in me is true satisfaction, true joy, true hope, true freedom, true justice, true everything else. And then Jesus put himself in a place to not demand that we serve him, but instead he served us and humbled himself to the point of death and took on all of our sin and our brokenness and even our disbelief and even our attempts to find those things in places other than him. And he spilt his blood so that we wouldn't die eternally and he conquered death as he rose and he gave us proof that he alone is the one, the one answer to all those problems. That's the gospel. That's the best good news, isn't it? That's the greatest news that each one of our neighbors and friends and coworkers and classmates and family members needs. And also, that's the greatest good news that you need to hear this morning as well. Because whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, today's truth is for mission, but it's not just for mission. Whatever your subjective story, whatever your subjective situation is, God's one objective gospel is good news for you too. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. Father, I pray for freedom. I pray for, for, for a, a, a pressure or a weight to lift off of us as we consider that you and you alone are the power behind salvation. And that while you invite us into your mission of making disciples, Lord, we can't do it. We can't do it without you. And so, God, I do pray that you would give us eyes to see what you're doing, ears to hear what you're doing. Would you, would you open our eyes, as Paul asked his friends to pray, would you open our eyes to the open doors around us? And would you open our ears to you as you give us the words to speak? And would you help us to, to love people well enough to get to know their stories? I know some of Blue Mountains values this so highly. I know the churches represented here are pursuing this. 
And yet, Lord, would you, would you free us from trying to do this by our own power? Would you give us everything that we need? Would you cause us to trust you more than methods? Would you cause us to, to rely on you more than ourselves? And God, would, would you even help us just today to reflect on ways that you are good news to us that we might not have thought of for a long time? Or specific ways that you're good news to us that we need to receive today? And then out of excitement and joy and life and an ignited fire from that, would you help us to walk through the open doors to our non-believing friends, family, neighbor, co-worker, classmate relationship? Not by our power, not for our glory, but from you, through you, and to you. For you alone forever. Amen? Amen. Amen.